Today's sermon passage is found in Galatians 2, verse 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, would you teach your people, us, from your word? Spirit of God, would you open our minds and our hearts to receive your word today? And would you cause me to speak truth? Lord, as Redeemer Church, we want to be a people who take your gospel, are transformed by it, and carry it into the world faithfully with conviction and grace. Would you help us do that? Move us in that direction, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 2, where Brittany just read for us. Um, and today, we're going to preach about an argument. Seriously, about an argument. And um, <clears throat> I'm a little bit fearful about this message, because there's two ways it could go horribly wrong. One way is if the divisive folks are emboldened to be more divisive. And the other way is if the fearful people pleasers continue to bury our heads in the sand and act like conflict is always bad. Neither of those is the desired outcome. The desired outcome of this, it was a conflict between Paul and Peter that pushed the church of Jesus forward in its faithfulness to the gospel. It was a conflict between Paul and Peter that God used to push the church forward in faithfulness to Jesus. Now, please hear that and say, but we're going to do conflict with conviction and with grace. With conviction and with grace. So we're studying the book of Galatians here at Redeemer. And I'm assuming all of you haven't been here for the last four weeks. So let me, let me see if I can quickly kind of, here's where we are. Galatians 1.1 through Galatians 2.14 is really a real, is, is a prolonged introduction to the book of Galatians. We're, we're just kind of getting all of the who, what, when, where, why, how, what's the problem. We're, we're kind of working our way through that. And Paul, who wrote Galatians, 
was sent by Jesus to take the gospel particularly to the non-Jewish parts of the world. And his, his position as one sent by Jesus, an apostle, is really under debate in Galatia. And here's what Paul has said. Number one, Jesus appeared to me. Number two, when Jesus appeared to me and I started preaching what Jesus said to me, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem heard and affirmed those things. Not that I needed their affirmation, but they gave it. And then third, I'm so confident in what Jesus said to me that I confronted Peter and told him he was wrong about something about the gospel. Now that's really the argument here today. Paul is confronting Peter because Peter is doing something that threatens the gospel faithfulness of the church. And Paul's really saying, if I got my message and my authority from Peter, then I would never confront him about those things. But because it came from God, because it came directly from Jesus, he even said earlier, I'll confront an angel who gets the gospel So in the flow of Galatians, there's your takeaway. This disagreement between Peter and Paul produced more faithfulness for the church of Jesus. But I think there's some more there for us to see this morning. So we're looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The first point, if you're going to take notes, is the disagreement. The disagreement. Verse 11 begins like this. When Cephas, that's what Paul is calling Peter. This is going to be confusing this morning because we're going to be in some different passages where Peter's going to be called by three different names, okay? So have a little fun. And we're going to be in some passages where Paul is called by two different names. So welcome to the Bible. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So Paul is just coming out. He's saying, look, there was a time in Antioch where I opposed Peter to his face because Peter was wrong, and he was wrong about something that threatened the gospel. The issue at hand was table fellowship within the church of Jesus. The issue at hand was table fellowship within the church of Jesus. And I think we might quickly dismiss that as... I mean, it's just a dinner party. Like, have over whoever you want to have over. That would be a very American way to misread what's going on here. Because in the early church, table fellowship was was the seat of inclusion. It was the seat of welcome. I would argue that in the early church, what we call the Lord's Supper looked a whole lot more like the Super Bowl party that you'll attend tonight than passing out some bread and cup and taking it in about 30 seconds and moving on. The the, the celebration of the unity of the church was table fellowship. So what's at stake here is who's included in the table of the Lord. What's at stake here is who's welcome around the table of the Lord. That's the debate. And that's where the disagreement occurred. Because 
the question is, does the Galatia, the, the church's table fellowship celebrate the full inclusion and the full acceptance of the Gentiles, or does it highlight a religious distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles and potentially cloud the message of the gospel? That's what's at stake here. And so Paul says, I'm, I confronted Peter because he acted hypocritically, verse 13, because he led others astray by his hypocrisy, verse 13, and because their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, verse 14. So we have a disagreement between Peter and Paul centering around the table fellowship of the church. Now, before we go any further, there are two important points of application that I want us to glean from this, okay? Number one, even the apostles, the sent ones, the ones who were with Jesus, are not infallible people. Let me say that positively. Even the apostles are fallible. You might say, well, why are we camping out there? Because this is one of the few places in the scripture that, that points out the error of an apostle. Most of the time, we tell stories about division where there are only heroes or heretics. And of course, we're always the hero. And they are always the heretics. But when Peter and Paul are disagreeing here, we don't get to play the heroes and heretics game. They're both faithful. They're both heroes of the faith. They're both people who love Jesus and know the Lord and in many ways should be emulated. But the scripture does not teach that they were without sin, nor does it teach that they were without error. It simply teaches that when they were under the authority of the the authority, excuse me, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what they wrote was correct and without error. So we have to separate the inspiration and the infallibility of the scriptures that the apostles penned from their lives. Even the apostles were fallible. Now you might be like, okay, Jamie, why are you really driving at this? Because here's why. When I sit around in a circle around Bible studies with Christians, we talk about Peter and Paul and James and the apostles like they're infallible. We say things like the Michael Jordan of the faith. We talk about them like they're superheroes. They just were the people that were with Jesus that he chose to use to build his church. I'm not going to downplay their authority, but they are fallible. And if the apostles are fallible, do you know what that means? means you're fallible. And if the apostles are fallible, do you know what else that means? It means your pastor's fallible. And if the apostles are fallible, that means your theological tribe is fallible. And if the apostles are fallible, that means your favorite internet preacher is fallible. This calls us to an epistemological humility that we are not comfortable with. 
God is true. God is without error. God's word is true. God's word is without error. And our job is to believe and align ourselves with that word as much as we can under the leadership and the help of the Holy Spirit. But our commitment to the word doesn't make us infallible. And this whole conversation about disagreement must unfold from the reality that both of the people in the disagreement are fallible. That's the only way forward. Doesn't mean they're both wrong all the time, but it means they're both capable of being wrong. The next time you argue with your spouse, just start here. I might be wrong. I'm just asking for the might, guys. Just the might. Like, I might be wrong. I have teenagers now, which means they're old enough to push back. At times, I have to start still with, I might be wrong. Because we're debating everything at the Mosley House these days. (laughs) A second point of application, just from an overview of this disagreement. The disagreement within the church the majority of the time is not about theology. It's about what the theology means in our day-to-day lives. The disagreement most often is about what does the theology require of us. Here, Peter and Paul both agreed that Jew and Gentile needed Jesus. Peter and Paul both agreed that the only hope for a Jew or a Gentile was for the blood of Christ to cover their sin and reconcile them to God. Peter and Paul both believed that Jew and Gentile were a part of the church of Jesus. Peter and Paul both agreed that they were free to fellowship around the table with the Gentiles even though they were Jews. The disagreement came when the Jews came to town. Should I go be unclean and exclude my Gentile friends, excuse me, my Jewish friends, or should I take a step back and go welcome my Jewish friends? You see, like this has theological implications, but so often the disagreement is in the the ethical, how do we live this out? I am not going to use modern examples of this, but trust me, the disagreement's not always in the theology. Second point, the confrontation. So what does Paul do with this issue, with this disagreement? He says, I opposed him to his face. And I think we can infer he did it in front of others because there was a whole group who was not walking in the way. Verse 11, I opposed him to his face. Verse 14, I did it because he was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Verses 12 and 13, I did it because of his hypocrisy. 
is inconsistency between what he says he believes and what he's doing. And because of the hypocrisy he was leading others into, an inconsistency between what he said he believes and what he's doing, I opposed him to his face. So this means that there are issues within the church of such a magnitude that confrontation is required for the faithfulness of the gospel. And the fearful people pleasers among us get a little uncomfortable with that reality. There are threats to the ministry of Christ to build his kingdom through his church, which require Christians to speak up about those threats. We can't read the story of Galatians and the story of the book of Acts any other way than to say the church continued on in the gospel and God used Peter and Paul together to that end. So this confrontation bore fruit. Second, not all disagreements are made equal. Not all disagreements are the same. Because, man, I, I was 25 once, you know, had, had the whole world figured out, if the world would just move and think like Jamie, the world would be pristine and stellar and without problem. And if 25-year-old me heard 43-year-old me say, confrontation is needed for reconciliation, the good of the community, I'd be like, that is right, and I'll be at the back door, and you can all check in and I will let you know where you err. And y'all would all go out the side doors and go on merrily about your day. Friends, not all disagreements threaten the gospel. Not all disagreements threaten the faithfulness of the church. Before, so before we go applying verse 11, I opposed him to his face. Let's ask the question, does this issue threaten the faithfulness of the gospel ministry of the church? Some disagreements are straight up opinion. If we disagree about opinion, defer for the good of the community. Some disagreements are straight up preference. If we disagree about preference, defer for the good of community. Some disagreements are in that realm of wisdom where good Christians can land on either sides of a debate. If we're disagreeing about something in the realm of wisdom, defer for the good and love of the community. And you save your bullets. And you save your words. And you save your right to be heard for when the disagreement threatens the truth of the gospel and the ministry of the church. And this is where we hold up our James 1, 3. He who lacks wisdom, let him ask prayer. Right? So here's a diagnostic question. If you're, because if you're 25-year-old me, everything is about the truth of the gospel. 
So here's your diagnostic question. What's the cost of being wrong on this issue? What's the cost of being wrong on this issue? So here's the answer from this passage. Paul would say, the cost of Peter being wrong here is that the church would either make included Gentiles feel excluded and blur the message of the gospel, or the church would convey that you need the law of Moses to be a Christ follower and blur the message of the gospel. So Paul would say the cost is blurring the message of the gospel. So maybe I'll say it this way. Let's know and believe and love the gospel message of Christ so much that we can truthfully understand what threatens it and what doesn't. And if you need help, I'm not 25-year-old me anymore. I'd love to have that conversation with you. I'd much rather go to lunch with you this week and talk about the gospel than do things on my computer that I have to do. Third, the outcome. Now, the book of Galatians doesn't give us the outcome of this, but I think we see it in the book of Acts. And I want to take a minute and relish in that, okay? The outcome here is the church moving forward in gospel faithfulness. That's the outcome. So what if we approached every disagreement amongst God's people with a vision of the church going forward in faithfulness and fruitfulness and not being divided and broken down and torn apart unnecessarily. All right, take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts chapter 10. Let's talk about Peter for a few minutes. And let's talk about how God works. Peter was one of the 12 that walked with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. He was one of the three that were like the inner circle. They got to do the the extra special things like going up on the mountain of transfiguration and seeing the full glory of Jesus revealed. He was there in the upper room on the night of the Last Supper. He was there at the trial. He was there at the crucifixion. He was there at the tomb on the day of the resurrection. He was in that upper room when Jesus appeared and said to Thomas, put your hands in the holes. He was the one preaching on Pentecost morning when the Holy Spirit descended upon all the peoples. And then Acts chapter 10 tells us that Peter was the one on a roof having a dream when God appeared to him and said, no longer call unclean that which I have called clean. And that vision in Acts chapter 10 led Peter 
to be the instigator that the gospel go beyond just Jews and into the Gentile world. Peter, not Paul. Peter. Peter became the one saying to the church, God's goodness in Christ is for the Gentiles. And then Acts 11, 12, and 13, the church sends Paul and Barnabas to do just that, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the way we're laying out the book of Galatians, is, is, is this is where the church of Galatia was planted. At the end of this time is when the book of Galatians was written. So somewhere in there, Peter had the vision and said, we need to go to the Gentiles. And this little incident in Antioch happened where Peter pulled back and said, but maybe not that far to the Gentiles. Or maybe that's not a wise choice to have table fellowship together. Now watch how this moves forward. Acts chapter 15. So we're taking an early view of the book of Galatians, which puts it being written before Acts chapter 15. So Acts chapter 15 would be after what we just read. After this disagreement. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Acts 15 verse 1. That's where I wanted you to turn. But some men came down from Judea, And we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's very, very clear, isn't it? Circumcision, practices, law of Moses required to be a Christ follower. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So they're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to talk about this question. Do Gentiles need to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses to become true followers of Jesus? Verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So this is the argument that's happening. Now, verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. Now, now don't, don't keep reading. Just take what we've talked about this morning from Galatians chapter 2. Now we're debating it with all the elders, all the apostles, and Peter stands up. Dun, dun, dun. That sounds like a train wreck waiting to happen, right? But God. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. 
And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between them and us, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done among them, excuse me, through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a pe- to take from them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophet agree. Skip down to verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Now, let's put all this together, friends. I'm working hard to show you a beautiful picture of how God works through our tension. Peter said, let's open, let's take, God said to Peter, let's take the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter and Paul stumble over this table fellowship issue amongst Christians who believe in Jesus, Jew and Gentile. Paul confronts Peter. And then when the question goes back to Jerusalem to be hammered out, God, we have to say working through this, causes Peter to stand up and say, Why should we put a burden on our Gentile brothers that we can't carry? Jesus is enough. This just isn't a fun history lesson. I hope you see the gospel surging forward through the faithfulness of people like Peter and Paul and Barnabas, but that faithfulness had to be hammered out through some dissension and some disagreement, and God worked it for the good of his name and the good of his church and the good of the Gentiles to the ends of the earth. So when we disagree, you might need to be quiet and repent, or I might need to be quiet and repent. But when we disagree, you might need to speak up. Because the faithfulness and the goodness of the gospel going forward might be at stake. Now, O oh Lord, would you give us wisdom to determine between the two and to resolve that Facebook is never the medium for such disagreement to take place? The good news, as so clearly spoken by Peter there in Acts 15. We will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, extended through his blood, one and all. Our hope is Christ. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to hear the invitation. The creator of the universe has sent his son 
to call you into his family and paid the price of coming into the family through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. We invite you to consider Jesus today. If you're considering Christ, you can pray to him right now. You can come talk to me after the service. You can go right back through those doors. To the left is a table with resources about who Christ is and a person that would love to help you consider Jesus today. Consider him. Consider him. And if you're here today as a Christ follower, meaning you've, you know your sin, you've confessed your sin, you've repented of your sin, you've turned to Jesus and said, my hope is in you, then we come to the table, the table of fellowship that Christ opened for us all. And we take the bread and we take the cup because we belong to Christ. Some folks are going to come and pass out the bread and the cup. We're going to sing together. And I'll come back in just a few minutes and we'll take the bread and cup together.